Good morning. I think you're still on mute. All right, here I am. <laughs> Good morning, Gary. How are you? Doing great. Uh, just so you know, I'm driving, but I am going to be home in about two minutes. That's so. totally fine. We've had I've had a few guests that have been driving, and it's it's pretty fun. Yeah, no worries. Well, th- thanks for taking the time today. Um, my uh, my pod's still small compared to yours, so um, but I'm I'm particularly interested in this topic. So I'm glad that uh, you were willing to do this. I really appreciate it. Oh, I'm super excited to hang out with you. Plus, thanks for bringing me into Colin. I've been meaning to <laughs> check it out. It's pretty great. I'm uh, I, I really like it. Someone tweeted this morning about how it 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 sort of makes it such that you can get both opinions at once because you can invite speakers and you you can't really ignore one side of the conversation, which I I kind of agree with. It's really well designed. Totally sounds like it's um, a little bit more well controlled clubhouse, maybe. <laughs> I hope so. I, I feel like clubhouse sort of a lot of the content is not as interesting anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of miss uh, you know classic Clubhouse, but I think that if people move, moved over to social rooms, they would get classic Clubhouse. But there's just still a lot of uh, activation energy for that. Oh, totally, I, I agree. Um, but anyway, thanks so much. It's it's been a long time. I remember the last time I saw you in person. Well, I think the first time we met was in Israel on that delegation, which was super fun. That was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Startup Nation. It was very cool. Very cool. That was before you had started Initialized or right around the same time? Uh, we had been running it just sort of quietly, almost like an Angelus syndicate. I mean, that's sort of the the reality is, you know, what everyone's doing these days with their funds. Um, you know, I, the cool thing is, like, there might actually just be a whole ton of funds that uh, help make the, the space of startups sort of 10x to 100x larger than it is today. And right. uh, I guess my super long-term hope is that that does actually happen because investors and good investors, especially at the early stage, uh, like you know, like you, you know, they're, oh, they're you know, we need a lot more of us. <laughs> we, need, <laughs> we need you know a thousand times as many, and then if you add that to both money and know-how and net people networks, then these networks can grow quite quite a lot. And so that's what I'm excited about right now. Yeah, me too. Not to mention that COVID has sort of made it such that anyone can start a company anywhere. Like I'm, I'm looking yeah. globally now. Uh, I don't care if the founders are outside the U.S. Actually, in some cases, that's a benefit. I don't know how you feel about that too. Yeah, I mean, we've been making decisions pretty remotely, and then yeah, we're you know we're just completely geographically agnostic at this point. And the crazy thing is it seems like it's working, right? It's um, if you and if anything, like having Valley networks is still useful because people are raiding Valley networks to try to, um, you know, up their skill. And then right. on the flip side, sort of half and half teams, like you might have some Silicon Valley, you know, people, you know, deep inside. But then the other half is, um, you know, people from all over the world. So that's like really, really interesting. Right. No, absolutely. I mean, we, I just did a seed round in a company where the founders are are based in Poland. The founders are going to move to New York, but they're going to keep their core team, you know, in Poland because the cost and the talent availability is just, is so much larger. Yeah. You basically got to keep doing it that way. Otherwise it's, um, it's too expensive, right? Otherwise. Yeah. 
Yeah. We've kind of the the whole the whole immigration policy we have in this country has kind of ruined our our capacity to to build new companies. It seems <laughs> so. Yeah, it's pretty scary um, how fast that has moved the wrong way, <laughs> and it doesn't feel like it's really going to move the, the correct way anytime soon. No, not at all. Because if you know if you're a Democrat and you're against immigration, and you're for immigration, you lose. And the yeah. same case for if you're a Republican. It's just, it's silly. So, um, sort of the anyway. opposite of what happened, <laughs> like sort of 10, 15 years ago. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, well anyway, thanks so much for, for coming on the show. Um, would love to just hear a little bit about your background and upbringing. I, I know that you were born in Canada, but would love to hear your family story. And that's usually where I start. I think the yeah, stories behind great. people's immigration and, and how, and if there were, if there were challenges, typically there are, those are the most interesting to me. So maybe if you want to start there, that'd be, that'd be awesome. Yeah, absolutely. I guess, um, yeah, it, I think a lot of what I fight for today is sort of, um, you know, vibrant San Francisco and San Francisco Bay area. And the reason why I do that is actually because I grew up here in Fremont and, um, yeah. you know, my parents were Chinese immigrants who both sort of came over from, uh, you know, from my dad from Singapore actually. And then from, from my mom from Burma. And, uh, mm. I guess I realized wow. a lot of this stuff was built on actually just a really brutal sort of 20th century for the Chinese diaspora. So, um, Fremont ended up being where they, but, you know, they, they went to Canada to uh, study. And then, mm -hmm. uh, I guess the tricky thing is like, not only did my mom sort of really struggle with language and her hearing impediment, um, mm -hmm. I guess also my dad was actually, a, uh, really struggled with alcoholism. Wow. So on the bright side, he really brought me into tech and he, you know, whatever computer, we wanted, we had, because he just really invested in that. But um, on the flip side, you know, he really struggled there to keep jobs. And um, we just actually grew up with sort of a cycle of abuse, actually. Wow. And, um, and you know, we actually were often, because my dad couldn't hold, you know, a job that long, like he would just sooner or later implode his relationships. Uh, huh. There were definitely you know, quite a few moments, like, you know, we'd have a, a good year and a lean year, sort of. And so we sort of found ourselves, um, you know, sometimes food insecure, grow, you know, I remember growing up in like one and two bedroom apartments. Um, and at some point I learned how to make web pages when I was 14 years old. <laughs> and um, I knew that the, you know, I'd been reading, I'd been uh, watching documentaries about computers and there was one that really changed my life called the machine that changed the world. And uh, you can actually find archives of this by, you know, W WGBH Boston. And, um, you know, just five episodes of tracing all the way through to uh, actually sort of the future today. And this was a documentary I think made in 1992, mm -hmm. but, uh, you know, it talked about AI, it talked about VR it basically laid for, you know, laid out what, you know, has more or less started, you know, it's, it's come to pass over the past 30 years. And, um, you know, obviously the machine that changed the world, you know, the computer, you know, it's sort of almost obvious, but one of my favorite, um, sort of 
insights from that documentary um, that I try to talk about all the time because it's still mind blowing. And I feel like it's actually one of the things that's happening in society today. Right. Um, they make, they draw this analogy to the computer to, um, you know, obviously the Gutenberg printing press. And, you know, you hear this in sort of, you know, um, remember the blog platforms back in the day were sort of called like movable type and things like that. You know, just the idea that you could mass produce knowledge, um, you know, one of the things I took away was that that actually really remade society. Like part of the reason why we get to sit here talking about, you know, symbolism and ideas is that, you know, we don't have to be you know, subsistence farmers in a field someplace. Right. Um, <laughs> and, you know, tech, it was technology and really the ability to pass uh, knowledge from generation to generation that has built, you know, sort of modern and postmodern society. And um, that was on the back of a communication technology that is, you know, first writing, then, uh, you know, and there's sort of a priesthood uh, involved in it, you know, for throughout, uh, you know, history until the uh, advent of the Gutenberg printing press, you know, there were illuminated manuscripts that, you know, cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. And, uh, you know, they've made an analogy that was the... um, you know, sort of mini computer and mainframe stage, which we still lived in, in like the, you know, 1960s. And it, it really did take a personal computer revolution to uh, create, you know, what they call, they have a ep- whole episode on it called the paperback computer. And <laughs> um, I, you know, it's funny because it just blew my mind at that age. And, you know, now I realize uh, it more or less was right. Like everything about, what has happened in society, you know, they talked about in this 19 obscure 1992 PBS documentary that sort of, uh, you know, put me on this path. So, you know, I knew I needed to get access to the internet. I wanted, you know, the web was brand new. Uh, you know, I remember mosaic and then I uh, picked up the phone and started cold calling the yellow pages because I was sick of living in, you know, an apartment and sometimes, you know, going home and it's like all there was to eat was, you know, uh, expired bread that uh, was dropped off behind my mom's, uh, you know, sort of convalescent home job as a, and she was working as a, a nurse assistant, um, you know, the, the late shift. So, you know, I was sort of latchkey kid, like she had to sleep during the days. And so I just knew there was this thing that was happening in society and I needed to be a part of it. And, uh, you know, I had to get on the internet. And uh, once I developed those skills, I said, well, someone's got to pay me for this, right? And uh, <laughs> I ended up making, getting, you know, seven, $10 an hour job making web pages. And it actually helped me, uh, you know, put together a down payment for my parents' home. And I live in that home now in Fremont. Um, wow. And, you know, so, I, you know, I, my brother grew up, uh, you know, in it. I, you know, I spent my high school years in it. And, um, you know, to me, that's a little bit the American dream that um, you can actually participate, you can find out through media, through, you know, and then once you're on the internet, like this new type of, you know, infinite book, right? Like if the personal computer was the, uh, you know, paper, it was the paperback revolution, mass literacy, uh, you know, the next level that is sort of happening in our lifetimes is, that paperback book becoming an infinite book, right? The bicycle for the mind. 
And right. how lucky are we to be living in that time? Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty incredible. Only in the past 20 years have we seen um, the, the Internet sort of allow people to be connected constantly. And that has created a whole new wave of change. What was the name of the documentary? One more time for everybody. It sounds like oh, it had uh, a pretty big impact. On oh, life. yeah. The machine that changed the world. I actually watch it every year. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And and how did they come up with some of these ideas in there? Do you know or they just had hunches about oh, it was things? Purely historical, right? Like, you know, there uh-huh. were one of the first interviews I saw of like Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak was in there. They brought, you know, they had Mitch Kapoor, they had Bill Gates, you know, it's, um, they went all the way, the history starts with all the way back to, you know, Babbage and Ada Lovelace. And, um, you know, they really sort of start at the beginning, get through the ENIAC and then, you know, sort of Hmm. just bring you all the way through. And then, you know, towards the end, it's like, they cover the three things that frankly, we all spend our time on now. It's like, the internet, AI, and VR. <laughs> I mean, the so, VR one is still developing. So right. Actually, I wanted to ask you: Are are you bullish on VR? As or, or what do you think of the whole? I mean, obviously, metaverse is a branding exercise. I think for Facebook, but totally. it, it also, I think there is a chance we'll be either living in VR or it'll take on some form of AR. What, what are your thoughts there? I'm always, I'm actually curious. I mean, I've been waiting for the platforms forever. Um, you know, big fan of Quest. I actually think mm-hmm. that there's a lot of low-hanging fruit that they've just totally neglected. I mean, if you ever try to just... <laughs> Excuse me, sorry. Bless you. If you ever just try to sit down and with someone else and just play a game together, the friction mm-hmm. is outrageous. And then, if anything, um, the really sort of lost... Um, the lost ability is like being able to go to virtual realms sort of in the same room. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think that there are plenty of very obvious product things and software things that are just not being done right. Um, and then the tricky thing is that's not really a thing. These are so low level sort of at the OS level. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't see that as a thing that a startup can come and just fix. So right. we're sort of on these fixed tracks of, you know, and it's interesting, limiting reagent is not even capital. It's actually, uh, you know, can the tech giants, you know, Facebook and Oculus in particular, can they sort of overcome their own internal ossification? And, you know, it's actually an internal management problem. And, uh, you know, I think this points to another problem that seems to be, pretty big in tech broadly, but nobody's really talking about it. Um, the simple fact that, hey, you know, it's not really about the money anymore. It's almost entirely about uh, worldview. And, um, you know, I learned this term from uh, Mark Andreessen recently called, or uh, maybe a year ago on Clubhouse. You know, he kept talking about um, this idea of asabia, hmm. which is sort of, um, I believe it's from... Um, you know, Bedouin uh, communities in the Middle East and the idea that, you know, why does one tribe sort of defeat another tribe? And in the end, it's actually, you know, um, strength of, you know, the strength of that society. You know, do, do people have a similar worldview? Are they effective? Do they work together well? And um, I think that that's sort of the thing that has now infected tech in that, um, you know, everyone you know, it's all—it's almost like a, a struggle of too much money. 
right? Like, I think yeah, everyone's large, trying to build some yeah. new vertical SaaS company or some VR tech company. I, I actually agree with that. Also, I think I, I was listening to that as well. It's also strength of narrative. Like, how good is the narrative around the society? And I think we're letting these big tech companies define what VR is without actually having an outside perspective. Is that sort of how you feel? too? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And then I think the big thing is, you know, that means that uh, faster innovation by smaller teams of highly effective bandits, you know, which are startups <laughs> that we, you and I love to fund. There's basically yeah. just not really an entry point, right? Or either that or, the uh, the entry point is so massive, like you, it would actually require raising hundreds of millions of dollars, and then there are very few people who can do that. And the tricky thing is, like once you get there, you sort of just rep. You know, sometimes the the scale premature scale ends up replicating the same problem that Oculus has, which is too many engineers fighting it out. Uh, you know, too disconnected from the product cycle, so you know people just sort of step all over themselves. Yeah, I wonder why they haven't haven't really focused on just the OS and providing as many tools possible for people to create products. You know, it seems like they're also entering in the the entering into the software and the application space by building the entire environment. Um, you know, I bet it, if Zuck just went and spent all of his time in that, if he just peeled off the team, put you know that it's like have a team of like not more than 50 people <laughs> and it's like the Mac team we spend all day thinking about it. I bet they would do it. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like that's the new direction. Uh, now he seems like to be a lot more focused on, on VR going forward and it is the sort of shiny object in the company right now. Yeah. You know, so yeah. I well, of, anyway, I mean, yeah, it's hard ahead, to sympathize and empathize per se, but on the other hand, it's like, I do actually sort of feel that, difficulty right like you know our, the founders we work with like they have sometimes the same problems it's um how do you get people to run fast and in a straight line you keep the team small yeah. you keep the team small and the burn low i mean that's the key thing until it's growing so fast you can't control it <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. um well anyway switching gears a little bit back to the I, I wanted to get a sense from you as to what it was like to come to the u.s I, it sounds like you came relatively early was it easy? Was it difficult? Maybe your immigration experience to the U.S. would be awesome to hear. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like, I came over to California when I was two years old. So, um, and then, obviously, I was born in Canada. So, uh -huh. you know, I did actually go through the naturalization process, and I oh, wow. found a lot of value in that. I mean, the, I, you know, I hope they still do those ceremonies, the naturalization ceremonies. I don't know if they do with COVID, but. I think that it was sort of, a, a, I remember, you know, being in college and, uh, you know, the test is hilarious because I think most Americans would not pass that test. <laughs> um, but I remember going into the, you know, sort of symphony hall and, or, you know, it was someplace in San Francisco and, um, you know, taking an oath and, and uh, it felt like, you know, really a moment of pride. And so, yeah. You know, I, I'm a big fan of what Noah Smith has been talking about, which is, uh, you know, moderate Democrats should really take up the mantle of um, loving America and having patriotism. Instead of being embarrassed actually, by it, which is, exactly. which is really I, I don't like I, that exact 
exactly defines my political leaning as moderate Democrat. It's just, it's silly that we, we should not be embarrassed that we're Americans. <laughs> yeah. I mean, also we shouldn't be embarrassed to be moderate Democrats. <laughs> it's, right. You know, within the party, uh, you know, I think that the war has shifted, especially in most of the communities that are sort of the knowledge communities yeah. um, to really that. And, you know, the most alarming thing over the past few years is realizing that um, that's actually a pretty active war to make people who have common sense and moderate views, you know, to push them to the right, to say that they to label them and sort of, you know, turn them into the boogeyman because, you know, in a lot of these communities, there are no right wing. <laughs> you know, frankly, nobody is right wing. Right. Uh, but then again, right. the Overton window has shifted. And um, someone's got to fight for this stuff, man, and it's us. Yeah, I mean that that actually brings me to the whole the whole Chesa Boudin recall and and what's happening in San Francisco. I mean, I live in this city. It sounds like you live in Fremont, which is probably a lot more livable than the city has oh, no, become. I'm in a, yeah, I'm in the city. <laughs> oh, you're in the city. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But you still have your house in Fremont. It sounds like, but um, oh, that's my uh, that's my parents. My your parents, parents house. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But you, so you're in the city. I mean, it, it's become, and to me, like unlivable. I mean, I want a more moderate, a more moderate government system. I mean, just something that's rational, something that is not going to be overly progressive. You know, the immigrant mentality seems to be one of, you know, sort of don't get into my, accept everyone, but at the same time, be rational, you know, and, and be capitalist in some cases. <laughs> You know? Yeah, you know, I, I for me, it's like, you know, capitalist is literally in our job descriptions. But, you know, what I realize is that a lot of the people who, you know, um, we might consider political opposition, who really sort of support the people and policies that are ruining San Francisco, um, you know, I think the super charitable view that I actually do have is that they don't know what they do. Um, yeah. And I think a lot of it is like they've never seen a lot of the more or less economic miracles that we have seen. And they sort of don't believe that, uh, you know, they believe that capitalism is pretty much a shell game. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think that there's probably a lot more we can do in our community to try to, you know, bring to bring that to light. Right. If you've ever seen someone sit in a room for a year or two come out with a product and then have it be something that a thousand, ten thousand, a hundred thousand, a million, you know, ten, a hundred, and then a billion people use, right? Like it's something that in our careers we will see over and over and over again. And when that happens, you know, it creates thousands of jobs. It, you know, this is these are the stories you read about in the newspaper. Like and the thing is for a lot of people in the Bay Area, they'll just read the Chronicle story. And they'll mm-hmm. think it's a shell game. They'll think that it's just, you know, that's just the machine working and they have no place in it. And so, you know, those are sort of the two things that I really want to try to work on. You know, one is like helping people understand, you know, these are very earnest people who come from all over the world to try to create new technology. And when it works, it like, it is like quite miraculous. Um, and then on the flip side, it's like, you know, for the next generation, like my story coming from the Bay Area is something that I actually do run across. You know, it's, you know, 90, I feel like a lot of people, you know, their neighbor, they have like their, you know, douchey tech neighbors and they're like not from <laughs> here. And, you know, and, I, you know, I 
go out and, and you know, meet all my neighbors and my communities and you know, in Noe Valley. And it's like, yeah, you know, if you, if you just talk to them, you know, they sort of realize, oh, like you're from here. And, you know, there are lots of people who are like that and they can study. Yeah. You know, they, they need access to advanced math and then they can go off to the best colleges and they can, you know, be a part of this, right? Like the next generation, you know, this is actually one of the places in the world that has the most social mobility in the world. And historically, yeah, that, absolutely. They yes. don't understand. Like, I, I think that people don't understand that. And then the problem now is like, we're going deep into policies that really prevent that from happening. Right. If you know, and, and they're, you know, destroying the golden goose, right? Like <laughs> they you know, are. what has happened yeah. to, for us is like San Francisco was this beacon of, you know, and it's, I think it still is, you know, like if you talk to people, you go, go and talk to people in tech, it's like, this is a place you need to come to. This is a place where you need to, you know, sort of, you know, you might not pitch people and, uh, you know, come here to raise money anymore, but you're going to pass through actually, you know, meet, uh, meet your investors actually. You know, I can't right. tell you how often it's like we, we wire money, uh, you know, we never met in person. And then, you know, then, we go for dinner and a walk, you know, in San Francisco. Afterwards. You know? Afterwards. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's going to continue. Um, and then, so I want that, I want sort of a big tent for tech, right? Like this is why we fund things like Career Karma, why I take all of my, you know, money I make on YouTube. Um, and I just donate it to Code 2040, right? These are organizations wow. that want to make, big, te- you know, make tech as accessible to everyone. And, you know, Career Karma's stories are outrageous. It's like so great. I mean, people who have really been failed by uh, the education system, you know, they've taken out loans, they've not been able to get through nursing programs, and then they come into a welcoming community that then helps them, you know, really learn how to code and find the right boot camp and have, you know, the support network of other people just like them, maybe from their city, from their, you know, from their background, from, you know, I mean, just so many different ways to make people know like this tech is a place for them and they belong, uh, you know, and so people who literally like might be bar bouncers or, you know, struggling through nursing programs, they're turning around after a year or two and like they're making six figures and they're getting, you know, they're buying houses, they're taking care of their kids. And then, uh, they're getting their, you know, 10 best friends to come doing. And so we're seeing these sort of uh, concentric circles of prosperity really being unlocked through tech. Um, mm-hmm. And that's what I want, right? That's all we need. And, um, and you know, I, I, I think that that's what, what that in order for us to actually build that in San Francisco, it actually takes people to be unafraid to talk about it and to vote, you know, um, right. and, to, and to get other people to vote. And to really be aware of what the policies are and how they actually hurt people. And so, you know, the hard part is a lot of the people we're talking about, you know, they're not bad people. They have good intention, but the good intentions result, you know, are resulting in bad policy. Bad policy is actually causing terrible outcomes, um, you know, for the Asian American community, you know, violence in the streets, you know, property crime. And, um, you know, the tricky thing for me is like realizing that a lot of the people who have great, you know, a deep, well, and, you know, very, very good intention, um, you know, it's actually an ideology, right? And so the, 
for some of them, it's that they will say or do anything in order to get the outcome that they want. And, um, you know, they're deeply embedded in the system. And, uh, you know, it, it's amazing how much uh, Boudin and his camp sort of resemble uh, the, the middle manager PM who has very bad <laughs> opinions and has, you know, infinite you know, cherry-picked data. I saw that right? that you that and, you said, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that, and, and he's an outsider. It, he's also an outsider, which people don't realize. You know, he has he's didn't grow up here, doesn't understand the culture, none of that. Yeah, he grew up you in know? Chicago, and you know, the most the craziest thing is realizing if you read about what his parents did. You know, they were part of a uh, you know at, you know open domestic terrorist group that murdered yep. people, and so. Um, you know, the tricky thing is the the ideology may well be the same, and then the methods are now much more embedded in the system. You know, they, yeah. they've used the, the system against itself. And uh, that's why more than half, I believe more than half of uh, the prosecutors in the city have quit uh, in the past two years. And, um, you know, I, I think it's quite existential uh, for the safety of the citizens of San Francisco that the recall passed in June. Yeah. Are you optimistic about that? I mean, it's, it seems like it's trending in the right direction, but we got to get out and vote. I mean, I think he is the center potential problem for that could destroy the city. I mean, it, it just takes another term for him, for the police to lose faith in the DA. And that's what he wants. He's trying to deconstruct the system. It sounds like. You know, I, I think the trickiest thing is it's a, you know, his supporters have somewhat of a point in that it is a very complicated system. Um, and so I, you know, I think a lot of the people who I trust, they really pointed out that, you know, this is, this is a systematic problem. And, uh, you know, the DA, I think is the worst, <laughs> but he is not responsible for a hundred percent. Um, and so I think recalling him will be a very important first step. Um, but taking back, taking back the board of supervisors and the school board, uh, those are also things that, um, actually drive a lot in the city, right? That, you know, that is actually what is driving a lot of this. Like if we, if we have more common sense leaders across the board, we will have a much more common sense, um, city. And mm -hmm. the tricky thing right now is that everyone's scared. Like the, you know, people are afraid to even speak up, right? And if you work within the government, if you spend time with people who work within the government, um, you know, I think the the fear levels for people who have common sense views is sort of off the charts, and that's because it's this bad, right? Like, you know, we have a public defender as a DA. We have nine out of eleven uh, board of supervisors who by all accounts are the most far left you can get and are not outcomes driven. Um, and so you know, the, the bright side though, is that we just need to flip for supervisors and we've got a much more common sense board of supervisors that then sort of drives all of the policy in the city. So it's not impossible, but it will be five to 10 years. Right. Uh, not to mention the fact that I think a lot of people don't realize that San Francisco has a governmental system where you need 
a majority of the supervisors to agree to really get anything done. Like it's not, the mayor does not have a lot of power relative to a city like New York. Um, and so I actually, I read up a little bit about this. It sounds like the Getty family was the originator of this policy um, and, and sort of was, was lobbying for it. And the result of it has actually been completely the converse, I think of what they wanted, which was the concept that, you know, you could have these different groups that would all govern themselves within the city, but instead, Instead, it's just led to an impasse on any policy measure, which is sort of a shame. Yeah, you, I mean, and you heard this in uh, London Breed's interview with Kara Swisher in the New York Times, where right. she was really frustrated that, you know, ideologues, you know, and I mean, as an African-American mayor, like I just, I was sort of floored uh, to, you know, to what degree she, you know, her frustration had gotten to, you know, that she can't even get basic common sense measures passed and for what for sort of uh you know an ideology that is you know frankly disconnected from her reality like she's a person of color who grew up poor in san francisco who is the mayor and she can't get things done and why because you have people who have no who grew up wealthy who grew up a part of an elite who you know sort of deny the direct experience of people of color in the city not to mention that she seemed she seemed very um sort of she had disdain for people in government that seemed to think they knew what she had gone through or knew what she wanted as a as a person of color and the leader of the city she was sort of finally saying like don't speak for me you know like i will speak for myself sort of a mentality which i really liked yeah i mean I think that we have to support. We, I mean, I, I think it's incredibly important that you know there needs to be a common sense resurgence, and you know it's going to pass through pe- leaders like London Breed and you know Catherine Stefani and Bill you know, Mahmoud. Yeah, so. Bill Mahmoud in the eighty seventeen race. You know, I think that those are the bright spots, um, and I think we can get there. You know, I, there are people like Marjan Fillauer, like she lost by hundreds of votes, right? So when people look at it and they say this is intractable, it's like the reality is it's not intractable. It's not at all. We allowed it. Yeah. We allowed it. We just all of us were just paying attention to our work. We were just you know, heads down, like immigrant grind, right? It's like right, we're exactly. Trying to, we're trying to get. We're trying to build. We're trying to focus on what's in front of us, and then you know, all around us, we you know didn't vote, right? Like the the it's incredible how powerful. Uh, the Democratic Party voter card is, for instance, and, and it gets mailed to absolutely everyone. And people superimpose the national politics on the local, and that's why it's so extreme. Um, and so, you know, I, we can't use those voter cards anymore. Like, we need to use SF Grow's voter card. And uh, you know, I, I think that hundreds of votes, like these things, are totally winnable. Way more people signed the recalls than the people who voted first choice for Chase right. for the DA. And so well, he, he also didn't win by very much. It was a ranked choice voting uh, game that he sort of leveraged. And, um, you know, it's, it's been catastrophic, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, we, we can't allow that anymore, you know, but the thing is, I think that we are, the, the crazy thing is like, I, you know, walking on the street, like people will stop me who are just, they are just so thankful <laughs> that, 
you know, these recalls are actually even happening. So I, you know, if you look at the polling numbers deeper down, um, you know, 69% of parents, uh, you know, polled actually want to recall the, the school board, right? And, you know, I, I would say a similar percentage um, feel the same way about the DA. And so, you know, that's all we need, right? You know, we need people who care about this, who are deeply touched by it, and every single one of us has been touched by crime uh, in this city. And it's just a matter of time, right? And thank God that, like, you know, for most of us, it's property crime. But for a lot of people, it's more. And, uh, you know, I think that there are real deaths on the hands of these policymakers um, because of these decisions. And and we've got to make different choices. Uh, yeah, totally. Totally agree. Well, um, so so maybe maybe another thing that I wanted to, to talk a little bit about was, do, do you think – uh, that like if, if if there are immigrants that are outside of the United States right now, they're thinking of getting into tech. Do you still recommend that they come here? How do you feel about um, welcoming new people to the community in spite of the sort of state of the politics, state of the city, and and all of that? What should immigrants do when they're thinking about starting their company and coming to the U.S.? Yeah, you know, I think the water's fine, and in, in you know, I, I think that obviously it's been a really tough few years and, you know, perhaps even you could argue in a, de- a decade for immigrants period. Um, yeah. For that, I'm sorry. I don't know. I mean, we, we need to get a lot more engaged. We need to tell the stories of, you know, startups and of basically just the pure creation that can happen here. Um, I think that there is something that increases the chances of people succeeding when they do come here. Um, but that being said, you know, I, I sort of think that for humanity, it's actually you know sort of a good thing to distribute the capital, access to capital, and to distribute the know-how. Um, mm-hmm. But for an individual, if you want to, you know, actually maximize the chance of your success, I think it still involves like coming through and spending time in the Bay Area and yeah, um, I agree. you know absorbing the culture. Like you know, as as recently as like maybe five or six years ago, you know, I would track companies that we worked with back at Y Combinator when I was a partner there. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, there were definitely companies that would go back to sort of, uh, either their home country or, you know, their hometown and they would just go straight in the ground. Like you would just see the, uh, you know, change (laughs) log and the, the commits just go to zero. And then you, you know, these companies don't like, die with a bang, they die with a whimper. Like, you know, one day, you know, you get an email saying, Hey, I'm going to go get a job. Right. Wow. Yeah. Then it must be fear. It must be fear. Cause ironically, you know, you may fear crime in San Francisco, but the converse is that you don't feel fear of failure necessarily. I mean, yes, you do. You don't want your company to go under, but you know, you always feel like, there's an, there's another chance that there's no downside in continuing to take risks. That's sort of how I see it, at least. I don't know how you see it. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, I think that there, you know, you spend enough time in the Bay Area, and then you forget that um, the 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 mindset of the Bay Area is still what are you going to create, and that's not the the, the mindset of most of the world is still incredibly zero sum. And right. Unless you are extremely intentional about how you spend your time and attention and who you spend time with, uh, you know, that zero sum mindset creeps into every micro decision and all the major ones, too. 
And you know, that's what actually kills these companies, right? It's, um, it's fear, it's fear of failure, it's small mindedness, it's not investing in people or, you know, initiatives or, and, or just frankly, not moving fast enough. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I or, think or people kills. wanting to join you. They want to go work at the established company rather than you know, joining and saying that they want to be part of your brand new company that no one knows about. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that's still a huge problem, right? Like, you know, you don't even have to go that You don't have to go leave the United States to get that. Like just go to Seattle and you know, you will find that, um, that's actually a big problem for people in, in Seattle. Seattle like, yeah. It's, it's, uh, kind of shocking to me that that's still true. But on the other hand, like, you know, in the past 20 years, big tech salaries have gone up, um, you know, at least 5x, probably more for, you know, the top level. So it's not that surprising, like, that, you know, there's so many big tech companies up there, um, and it's sort of the safest place for them. <laughs> so, right. It's, and, you know, that, that, that culture is very different here in the Bay Area. Like, you, you just have people who want to go fast, and they want to create something new. Uh, and it's a self-selection. And so I think that people will continue to self-select. Uh, and so the silver lining, I think, is that um, as people leave here, it actually makes space for that next generation. And, you know, the water's fine. Agreed. I, t- I completely agree. Well, look, I know uh, I, I, we're about 45 minutes in, and, and um, this has been a fantastic conversation. So I know that you're busy. I really appreciate this, and, and especially the, the conversation around the politics of, our, of our, the city we both love um, was, was super fascinating and unique. So thank you so much for coming on, Gary. Is there anything else you want to leave the audience with before um, we adjourn? I'll, I'll be sharing this yeah. uh, across a diff- bunch of different places too. Once, uh, once this is done. Yeah. I mean, I just realized there's a little bit of cognitive dissonance because we just talked about how unsafe San Francisco is. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we also, yeah, I, I think the, the, I guess maybe the, the piece of concrete advice is like, don't move to Selma. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> you know? and that's what everyone does, right? Like, People don't know, you know, that it's close to maybe the other tech companies. A lot of startups have been in Soma. I think that, you know, if you go into the neighborhoods, you know, check out the sunset, check out Pack Heights, you know, check out, um, you know, frankly, you know, Noe Valley or, you know, right. the, there's some Bernal Heights. Like there's so many parts of the city that are gorgeous and pretty safe and don't put anything in your car and, you know, it's going to be okay. <laughs> so. Um, yeah and vote for the recall you know vote for the chester recall the school board recall you know get involved in your local politics scene that i mean i have been and uh especially in noe it seems to be pretty active yeah and you know remember these things are hundreds of votes and your voice matters and you know the the amazing thing about the uh, school board recall is you don't even have to be a citizen to vote in it really I didn't know. Yeah, that. The, Interesting. The, yeah, there's hundred. You know, for the school board recall itself, it is. Uh, I believe hundreds of um, non-citizens are, you know, sort of by local mandate uh, allowed to vote. Actually, and, and hmm. they've been registered to vote. That's. I mean, that is a benefit of the of part of the liberal policy that we have. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> San Francisco is very unique uh, in that way, right? And so, you know, there there are lots of good things about San Francisco. Uh, that is easy to gloss over and um you know of the places in the country even who are you know very open to immigration you know san francisco Mm -hmm. remains top of that list 
I, I completely agree. It's it's really San Francisco and then probably New York um, in terms of acceptance of immigrants from my at least my anecdotal experience. So, um, well, I'm hopeful and and thanks so much, Gary. And and this has been great. I'll share it on Spotify for people that have Android because uh, Colin's unfortunately not available for Android yet. But uh, looking forward to um, sharing this more widely. So, all right, thanks. For thanks, Gary. Me. Have a have all a really right. great week. Appreciate the time. You too. Take care. Take care, everyone. <laughs> Thanks. Bye.